Chapter thirty three of the Wide Wide World. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bridget. The Wide Wide World by Susan Warner. Chapter thirty three. A Gathering Cloud in the Spring Weather. Ellen's life had nothing to mark it for many months. The rest of the winter passed quietly away, every day being full of employment. At home the state of matters was rather bettered. Either Miss Fortune was softened by Ellen's gentle, inoffensive ways and obedient usefulness, or she had resolved to bear what could not be helped, and make the best of the little inmate she could not get rid of. She was certainly resolved to make the most of her. Ellen was kept on the jump a great deal of the time. She was runner of errands and maid of all work. To set the table and clear it was only a trifle in the list of her everyday duties, and they were not ended till the last supper-dish was put away and the hearth swept up. Miss Fortune never spared herself, and never spared Ellen, so long as she had any occasion for her. There were, however, long pieces of time that were left free. These Ellen seized for her studies, and used most diligently, urged on by a three- or fourfold motive. For the love of them, and for her own sake, that John might think she had done well, that she might presently please and satisfy Alice, above all, that her mother's wishes might be answered. This thought, whenever it came, was a spur to her efforts. So was each of the others, and Christian feeling added another, and kept all the rest in force. Without this, indolence might have weakened, or temptation surprised her resolution. Little Ellen was open to both, but if ever she found herself growing careless from either cause, conscience was sure to smite her, and then would rush in all the motives that called upon her to persevere. Soon faithfulness began to bring its reward. With delight she found herself getting the better of difficulties, beginning to see a little through the mists of ignorance, making some sensible progress on the long road of learning. Study grew delightful, her lessons with Alice one of her greatest enjoyments, and as they were a labor of love to both teacher and scholar, and as it was the aim of each to see quite to the bottom of every matter where it was possible, and to leave no difficulties behind them on the road which they had not cleared away, no wonder Ellen went forward steadily and rapidly. Reading also became a wonderful pleasure. Weems's Life of Washington was read, and read, and read over again, till she almost knew it by heart, and from that she went to Alice's library, and ransacked it for what would suit her. Happily it was a well-picked one, and Ellen could not light upon many books that would do her mischief. For those, Alice's wish was enough. She never opened them. Furthermore, Alice insisted that when Ellen had once fairly begun a book she should go through with it, not capriciously leave it for another, nor have half a dozen about at a time. But when Ellen had read it once she commonly wanted to go over it again, and seldom laid it aside until she had sucked the sweetness all out of it. As for drawing, it could not go on very fast while the cold weather lasted. Ellen had no place at home where she could spread out her paper and copies without danger of being disturbed. Her only chance was at the parsonage. John had put all her pencils in order before he went, and had left her in abundance of copies, marked as she was to take them. They, or some of them, were bestowed in Alice's desk, and whenever Ellen had a spare hour or two of a fine morning or afternoon, she made the best of her way to the mountain. It made no difference whether Alice were at home or not. She went in, coaxed up the fire, and began her work. It happened many a time that Alice, coming home from a walk or a run in the woods, saw the little hood and cloak on the settee before she opened the glass door, and knew very well how she should find Ellen, bending intently over her desk. These runs to the mountain were very frequent, sometimes to draw, sometimes to recite, always to see Alice and be happy. Ellen grew rosy and hearty, 
and in spite of her separation from her mother, she was very happy, too. Her extreme and varied occupation made this possible. She had no time to indulge useless sorrow. On the contrary, her thoughts were taken up with agreeable matters, either doing or to be done, and at night she was far too tired and sleepy to lie awake musing. And besides, she hoped that her mother would come back in the spring, or the summer at farthest. It is true Ellen had no liking for the kind of business her aunt gave her. It was oftentimes a trial of temper and patience. Miss Fortune was not the pleasantest workmistress in the world, and Ellen was apt to wish to be doing something else. But after all, this was not amiss. Besides, the discipline of character, these trials made the pleasant things with which they were mixed up seem doubly pleasant. The disagreeable parts of her life relished the agreeable wonderfully. After spending the whole morning with Miss Fortune in the depths of housework, how delightful it was to forget all in drawing some nice little cottage, with a bit of stone wall, and a barrel in front, or to go with Alice, in thought, to the south of France, and learn how the peasants manage their vines, and make their wine from them, or run over the rock of Gibraltar with the monkeys, or at another time, seated on a little bench in the chimney-corner, when the fire blazed up well, before the candles were lighted, to forget the kitchen and the supper and her bustling aunt, and sail round the world with Captain Cook. Yes, these things were all the sweeter for being tasted by snatches. Spring brought new occupation. Household labors began to increase in number and measure. Her leisure times were shortened. But pleasures were increased, too. When the snow went off and the spring-like days began to come, and birds' notes were heard again, and the trees put out their young leaves, and the brown mountains were looking soft and green, Ellen's heart bounded at the sight. The springing grass was lovely to see. Dandelions were marvels of beauty. To her, each wild wood-flower was a never-to-be-enough-admired and loved wonder. She used to take long rambles with Mr. Van Brunt when business led him to the woods, sometimes riding part of the way on the ox-sled. Always a basket for flowers went along, and when the sled stopped, she would wander all round, seeking among the piled-up dead leaves for the white wind-flower, and pretty little head-hanging uvaria, and delicate bloodroot, and the wild geranium and columbine, and many others, the names of which she did not know. They were like friends to Ellen. She gathered them affectionately, as well as admiringly, into her little basket, and seemed to purify herself in their pure companionship. Even Mr. Van Brunt came to have an indistinct notion that Ellen and Flowers were made to be together. After he found what a pleasure it was to her to go on these expeditions, he made it a point, whenever he was bound to the woods of a fine day, to come to the house for her. Miss Fortune might object as she pleased. He always found an answer, and at last Ellen, to her great joy, would be told, "'Well, go get your bonnet and be off with yourself.' Once under the shadow of the big trees, the dried leaves crackling beneath her feet, and alone with her kind conductor, and misfortune and all the world that was disagreeable was forgotten, forgotten, no more to be remembered till the walk should come to an end. And it would have surprised anybody to hear the long conversations she and Mr. Van Brunt kept up, he, the silentest man in Thirlwall. Their talk often ran upon trees, among which Mr. Van Brunt was at home. Ellen wanted to become acquainted with them, as well as with the little flowers that grew at their feet, and he tried to teach her how to know each separate kind, by the bark and leaf and manner of growth. The pine and hemlock and fir were easily learnt. The white birch, too. Beyond those, at first, she was perpetually confounding one with another. Mr. Van Brunt had to go over and over his instructions. Never weary, always vastly amused. Pleasant lessons these were. Ellen thought so, and Mr. Van Brunt thought so, too. 
Then there were walks with Alice, pleasanter still, if that could be, and even in the house, Ellen managed to keep a token of springtime. On her toilet table, the three uncouth legs of which were now hidden by a neat dimity cover, there always stood a broken tumbler with a supply of flowers. The supply was very varied, it is true, sometimes only a handful of dandelions, sometimes a huge bunch of lilac flowers, which could not be persuaded to stay in the glass without the help of the wall, against which it leaned in very undignified style. Sometimes the bouquet was of really delicate and beautiful wild flowers. All were charming in Ellen's eyes. As the days grew longer and the weather warm, Alice and she began to make frequent trips to the cat's back, and French came very much into fashion. They generally took sharp to ease the long way, and rested themselves with a good stay on the mountain. Their coming was always a joy to the old lady. She was dearly fond of them both, and delighted to hear from their lips the language she loved best. After a time they spoke nothing else when with her. She was well qualified to teach them, and indeed her general education had been far from contemptible, though nature had done more for her. As the language grew familiar to them, she loved to tell and they to hear long stories of her youth and native country, scenes and people so very different from all Ellen had ever seen or heard of, and told in a lively, simple style, which she could not have given in English, and with the sweet colouring of Christian thought and feeling. Many things made these visits good and pleasant. It was not the least of Alice's and Ellen's joy to carry their old friend something that might be for her comfort in her lonely way of life. For even Miss Fortune now and then told Ellen she might take a piece of that cheese along with her, or she wondered if the old lady would like a little fresh meat. She guessed she'd cut her a bit of that nice lamb. She wouldn't want but a little piece. A singular testimony this was to the respect and esteem of Mrs. Voss had from everybody. Miss Fortune, very, very seldom, was known to take a bit from her own comforts, to add to those of another. The ruling passion of this lady was thrift, her next good housewifery. First, to gather to herself and heap up of what the world most esteems. After that, to be known as the most thorough housekeeper and the smartest woman in Thirlwall. Ellen made other visits she did not like so well. In the course of the winter and summer, she became acquainted with most of the neighborhood. She sometimes went with her aunt to a formal tea-drinking, one, two, three, or four miles off, as the case might be. They were not very pleasant. To some places she was asked by herself, and though the people invariably showed themselves very kind, and did their best to please her, Ellen seldom cared to go a second time, liked even home and misfortune better. There were a few exceptions. Jenny Hitchcock was one of her favorites, and Jane Huff was another, and all of their respective families came in, with good reason— for a share of her regard. Mr. Juniper, indeed, accepted. Once they went to a quilting at Squire Dennison's. The house was spotlessly neat and well-ordered, the people all kind, but Ellen thought they did not seem to know how to be pleasant. Dan Dennison alone had no stiffness about him. Miss Fortune remarked with pride that even in this family of pretension, as she thought it, the refreshments could bear no comparison with hers. Once they were invited to tea at the Lawson's, but Ellen told Alice, with much apparent disgust, that she never wanted to go again. Mrs. Van Brunt she saw often. To Thirlwall, Miss Fortune never went. Twice in the course of the summer, Ellen had a very great pleasure in the company of little Ellen Chauncey. Once Miss Sophia brought her, and once her mother, and the last time they made a visit of two weeks. On both occasions Ellen was sent for to the parsonage, and kept while they stayed, and the pleasure that she and her little friend had together cannot be told. It was unmixed now. Rambling about through the woods and over the fields, no matter where, it was all enchanting. Helping Alice garden, 
helping Thomas make hay, and the mischief they did to his haycocks by tumbling upon them, and the patience with which he bore it, the looking for eggs, the helping Marjorie to churn, and the helping each other to set tables, the pleasant mornings, and pleasant evenings, and pleasant middays, it cannot be told. Long to be remembered, sweet and pure was the pleasure of those summer days, unclouded by a shade of discontent or disagreement on either brow. Ellen loved the whole Marshman family now, for the sake of one, the one she had first known, and little Ellen Chauncey repeatedly told her mother in private that Ellen Montgomery was the very nicest girl she had ever seen. They met with joy, and parted with sorrow, entreating and promising, if possible, a speedy meeting again. Amidst all the improvement and enjoyment of these summer months, and they had a great deal of both for Ellen, there was one cause of sorrow she could not help feeling, and it began to press more and more. Letters. They came slowly, and when they came, they were not at all satisfactory. Those in her mother's hand dwindled and dwindled, till at last there came only mere scraps of letters from her, and sometimes, after a long interval, one from Campton Montgomery would come alone. Ellen's heart sickened with long-deferred hope. She wondered what could make her mother neglect a matter so necessary for her happiness. Sometimes she fancied they were traveling about, and it might be inconvenient to write. Sometimes she thought, perhaps they were coming home without letting her know, and would suddenly surprise her some day, and make her half lose her wits with joy. But they did not come, nor write, and, whatever was the reason, Ellen felt it was very sad, and sadder and sadder as the summer went on. Her own letters became pitiful in their supplications for letters. They had been very cheerful, and filled with encouraging matter, and in part they were still. For a while her mind was diverted from this sad subject, and her brow cleared up, when John came home in August. As before, Alice gained Miss Fortune's leave to keep her at the parsonage the whole time of his stay, which was several weeks. Ellen wondered that it was so easily granted, but she was much too happy to spend time in thinking about it. Miss Fortune had several reasons. She was unwilling to displease Miss Humphreys, in conscience that it would be a shame to her to stand openly in the way of Ellen's good. Besides, though Ellen's services were lost for a time, yet she said she got tired of setting her to work. She liked to dash round the house alone, without thinking what somebody else was doing or ought to be doing. In short, she liked to have her out of the way for a while. Furthermore, it did not please her that Mr. Van Brunt and her little handmaid were, as she expressed it, so thick. His first thought, and his last thought, she said, she believed, were for Ellen, whether she came in or went out. And Miss Fortune was accustomed to be the chief, not only in her own house, but in the regards of all who came to it. At any rate, the leave was granted, and Ellen went. And now was repeated the pleasure of the first week in January. It would have been increased, but that increase was not possible. There was only the difference between lovely winter and lovely summer weather. It was seldom very hot in Thirlwall. The fields and hills were covered with green instead of white. Fluttering leaves had taken the place of snow-covered sprays and sparkling icicles, and for the keen north and brisk northwester, soft summer airs were blowing. Ellen saw no other difference, except that, perhaps, if it could be, there was something more of tenderness in the matter of Alice and her brother towards her. No little sister could have been more cherished and cared for. If there was a change, Mr. Humphreys shared it. It is true, he seldom took much part in the conversation, and seldomer was with them in any of their pursuits or pleasure. He generally kept by himself in his study, but whenever he did speak to Ellen, his tone was particularly gentle, and his look kind. He sometimes called her my little daughter, which always gave Ellen great pleasure. 
She would jump at such times with double zeal to do anything he asked her. Now drawing went on with new vigor under the eye of her master, and many things beside. John took a great deal of pains with her in various ways. He made her read to him. He helped her and Alice with their French. He went with them to Mrs. Voss's, and even Mr. Humphreys went there too one afternoon to tea. How much Ellen enjoyed that afternoon! They took with them a great basket of provisions, for Mrs. Voss could not be expected to entertain so large a party, and borrowed Jenny Hitchcock's pony, which, with old John and Sharp, mounted three of the company. They took turns in walking. Nobody minded that. The fine weather, the beautiful mountain-top, the general pleasure, Mr. Humphrey's uncommon spirits and talkableness, the oddity of their way of travelling, and of a tea-party up on the cat's back, and furthermore, the fact that Nancy stayed at home and behaved very well the whole time, altogether filled Ellen's cup of happiness for the time as full as it could hold. She never forgot that afternoon, and the ride home was the best of all. The sun was low by the time they reached the plain. Long shadows lay across their road. The soft air just stirred the leaves on the branches. Stillness and loveliness were over all things, and down the mountain and along the roads, through the open country the whole way, John walked at her bridle, so kind in his care of her, so pleasant in his talk to her, teaching her how to sit in the saddle, and hold the reins and whip, and much more important things, too, that Ellen thought a pleasanter thing could not be than to ride so. After that they took a great many rides, borrowing Jenny's pony or some other, and explored the beautiful country far and near. And almost daily John had up sharp and gave Ellen a regular lesson. She often thought, and sometimes looked, what she had once said to him. I wish I could do something for you, Mr. John. But he smiled at her and said nothing. At last he was gone, and in all the week he had been at home, and in many weeks before, no letter had come for Ellen. The thought had been kept from weighing upon her by the thousand pleasures that filled up every moment of his stay. She could not be sad then, or only for a minute. Hope threw off the sorrow as soon as it was felt, and she forgot how time flew. But when his visit was over, and she went back to her old place and her old life at her aunt's, the old feeling came back in greater strength. She began again to count the days and the weeks, to feel the bitter, unsatisfied longing. Tears would drop down upon her Bible. Tears streamed from her eyes when she prayed that God would make her mother well, and bring her home to her quickly, oh, quickly, and little Ellen's face began to wear once more something of its old look. End of chapter 33